Welcome back in everyone to another fabulous episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are so excited to be bringing you another coverage of the Gotham Storytelling Festival. It's happening this year, November 3rd through the 11th at Under St. Mark's. And of course, you can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. And just like last time, we have a very full house again, and we're so excited to be bringing you these amazing artists and storytellers, and we're just going to jump right into it. So we're going to welcome onto our show, Jamie Brickhouse, Les Kirkendall Barrett, Leona Godin, Martin Dockery, Brad Lawrence, David Who, David Lawson, Alisa Rosenthal, and Michelle Carlo. Everyone, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Hello. Yay. Hello. Thank you so much, Andrew. Hi. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Glad to be here. Whisper. I'm from <laughs> Brooklyn. All of you here and to be hearing all about these great stories that you have coming to the Gotham Storytelling Festival. This is one of my favorite festivals that happen here in New York. So I want to start by asking all of you if you could tell our listeners just a little bit about what each of your shows are about. And Jamie, could I start with you with your show, Pearl Necklace, A Gay Sexcapade? Of course you can start with me. You know, <laughs> my sex life gives new meaning to the term parks and recreation. And so this is a, a bunch of stories that I've been telling separately. And I thought, you know, I think I've got a show here. And and yeah. it's it they're bawdy, funny, but also poignant with a message and you know and it's about i don't know four decades of of my sex and love life you know trying to shed shame and guilt while having some fun and also finding one true love wow that sounds fantastic martin i want to jump to you with your show every good story ends with one yeah every good story ends with one so this is just unlike it's sort of the opposite of uh uh, Jamie's story in the show, rather. This is just one story told A to B or Z. Depends how far we're going. Anyway, it's an hour long. So we just, it's told linearly and it's about something crazy that happened uh, at, a, at a fringe festival on the other side of the planet in Australia about 12 years ago. And I was having a disastrous run there. Absolutely terrible, terrible run and getting nothing but negativity from everybody. And then I started receiving these anonymous pieces of fan mail from this woman named Erin and accompanying them were these mysterious gifts. And so the story is about this relationship I begin to develop with this woman whose last name I don't know, who I don't know what she looks like. I'd have no way to contact her. It's just a dialogue we have through me on stage doing my show and her in the audience commenting on my show. And to say more about that would be to ruin the ending, but it really builds to quite a, quite a climactic moment. Very cool. Leona Godin, you have the show Sided People Suck. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I absolutely can. These are stories from my life as a blind person and a performer. And so we're back to the sort of idea of stringing a bunch of different stories together, but these are specifically moments of being on stage. So they begin with my time working at the San Francisco Zoo, presenting animals to other kids, to me playing in a punk band in New Orleans, to 
finding love in my decidedly unangelic voice in a basement theater open mic in New York. And it's also kind of about the fact that every time I step out into the world with my white cane, it's kind of a performance. So it's the performance of life and on stage. Wow, very cool. Les Kirkendall Barrett, you have a fascinating title as well. The Real Black Swan, The Confessions of America's First Drag Queen. What's so, yeah, this actually is the true story of William Dorsey Swan, who was a former slave who became the queen of drag in the late 1800s. She was also the first queer activist on record. And so it tells the story of William Dorsey Swan. I actually weave in some of my personal experiences dealing with racism and homophobia as well. But the thing is, is that the stuff that William Dorsey Swan was fighting against now with states trying to make drag illegal, the story is very timely. And a lot of the stuff that William Dorsey Swan was dealing with is stuff that we are dealing with again. So I'm excited to get the story out there. That sounds incredible. David, who... You have also a fantastic show called The Outcast. Can you tell us about that? Yes, The Outcast. It's about the struggles of fitting in as a first-generation American in New York and how my struggles of fitting in led to depression, led to financial ruin, and eventually health issues. But through this whole journey, I ultimately learned that being an outcast definitely opened up a new world where others did not see to new opportunities and allowed me to take risk as well as challenge the status quo and how I came to terms with being an outcast later in life through storytelling and finding this community today. Awesome. Brad Lawrence, a great show called The Big Secret. Yeah, this is a show. So I've, I've been doing storytelling shows and solo shows for about 15, 16 years. And throughout all of those shows, there is one story I never touched because it was a story about a secret that someone told me when I was 14 in an evangelical youth group. And because of you know what became of that person, I ended up sort of socking that secret away and not talking about it at all until at some point in the past year, I sat on it for about 35 years. And at some point in the last year, I, I brought it up to my sister and told her for the first time, I'd never told anyone before, what had happened. And in talking to her, I realized how keeping a truth to yourself can stunt and twist that truth and make it not true at all. Because to go, to go any further than that would be giving stuff away. But if you if you've seen me perform before, I think you're going to be like, wait a minute, all those other shows, this thing was lurking somewhere in the background and I didn't know it. Yeah, that's what was happening. That's fantastic. Oh, I'm enticed. Elisa Rosenthal, you have a very fascinating title, Big Honor Student Energy. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, I used to be a kid's birthday party musician, and I was determined to be the best ever kid's birthday party musician until the day the call came to play a birthday party that ended up being entirely of parents, and those were people that I went to high school with. 
<laughs> so this show explores what it's like to be someone who works a lot of odd jobs. Once I played a ukulele wedding proposal outdoors in sub-zero Chicago winter and also makes odd choices. I went to clown school, but I imagine most people on this podcast also did. All while just trying to do my best. Okay, mom? <laughs> I love it. And then we're so excited to have back on once again, the incredible Michelle Carlo. And she's got a great show called It Came From New York. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Oh, I'm so excited to bring this show back. I first started doing this back in, wait for it, the aughts. 2005. I mean, Britney Spears was still hot back then. <laughs> and I got the idea because as a native New Yorker, and as, as if you can't tell by my voice, right? And as a performer, I almost invariably found that I was one of the few na- New York natives in the room. And I, especially in the storytelling scene, because I had started doing the moth a couple of years before. And like, basically, I was the one of the very few people that was actually from New York. And I got the idea that it would be fun to have a show that had everybody in it that was a New York native and I would have one person from each borough, represent each borough, and then I would have one transplant, which I called the token, because the New York City subway system used to have tokens. And, you know, I figured, well, the New York City subway system no longer has tokens, but my show did. And I did it for a number of years and it was great. We got some good press. We had a lot of fun. We had so many people. Some of the people here were, were in the show as 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 tokens. And you know, on this, I could think of one, two people that were tokens here. And yep, yep, Leona and Brad. And I just stopped doing it after a while because you know, you know how things are. You do something for a little while and then you don't do it anymore. But when Eris asked me if I wanted to be in the festival this year, I was like, well, I don't have a, a new solo show because my life has been very disrupted this year and he was like well why don't you bring back it came from new york and i was like dang i can do that because i'm hosting i'm hosting and i'm and i'm and i'm spotlighting other people which actually makes me feel really good because i have a wonderful cast of six awesome fierce fabulous funny people that are going to light up the stage on tuesday november 7th at seven o'clock i love it well, listeners, if you can't tell, this is an incredible lineup, and it's just a sampling of some of the amazing stories and shows you're going to be able to see at this festival. So I want to dive a little bit more into each of your shows. And Martin, I actually want to start with yours. Every good story ends with one. What has it been like developing this piece? Well, it's sort of a little bit what Brad was just saying about his show being a story that's lurked for a long time back there. This this as well, because it happened 12 years ago. And, you know, I've always known it as this kind of crazy story, but in a way, the story, you know, without giving it too much away, is so unbelievable, really, that I didn't even really know how to tell it on stage, because it sounds like fiction. And so I think I think I, I just sort of avoided it until, until the pandemic rolled around. And once a month during the pandemic, I would do a, an entirely new monologue that I deliver online. And then this was one of the stories I told, one of those uh, iterations of that, of that project I was doing over the year. And then I was like, you know, this is, this is, this is a great story. Like this, I can't believe the story has been sitting there inside of me all this time. And so then I did it for the first time at a fringe festival in Vancouver and it, it won the like, uh, patrons pick there. And then I toured it this summer to festivals in Winnipeg and Edmonton. And so, yeah, so I, I just, it's a, 
it's a very accessible show. Like there's, it's a fun story and it's funny. And it's, as I said, it's kind of wild. So it's just, it's very easy to tell. There's no like theatrical hijinks to it. It's just straight up like, here's a story. You're never going to believe it. Just sit back 60 minutes. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been really fun. And it's very, as I said, it's, it's remarkably easy to tell just because it, it's the story itself, the mechanics of it, uh, as it happened in real life to me, developed in such a crazy way that I just have to tell what happened. And that takes an hour and it's, and it's fun. And at the end of it, everyone's like, is that real? That really happened? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. Can you believe it? So I don't know. That, I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we have a director joining us, David Lawson, who's with David Hughes show, The Outcast. Can you tell us, David Lawson, what has it been like developing The Outcast? Yeah. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having us all on the show. I've known David for a better part of a decade now, and I've seen him at storytelling shows, too many to count on stage. And I've actually heard most of these stories over the years, uh, over several years. Uh, a lot of these stories more recent than others. Some of them he's just developing for this show. But it's been really exciting to kind of craft all of these five to ten minute pieces that I've been so happy to see David perform on stage as I've been sitting in the audience. And now the two of us hashing things out in a rehearsal room getting these stories into one 60 minute piece. It's been really exciting to see some stories I've seen before, a lot of new stuff and to just work it all under this one, one hour piece, the outcast. So it's been really exciting. And David and I, we've been friends for a while and this has been really exciting uh, directing this show. Yeah, it's been going great. Amazing. Les, you have this fantastic show about America's first drag queen, the real black swan. And I'm intrigued. I would love to know more about what it's been like developing that story in that show. It has been, it has been one of the coolest things I've ever done. Honestly, you know, the, the show was actually, I'm, or the, the subject of William Dorsey Swan was actually, presented to me by another fringe artist who sent me a text one day saying, hey, you know what? Have you ever heard of this person? I think this would be a great show for you. And I had never, I had never heard of William Dorsey Swan before. So, and I, and I thought that it was gonna be a piece of cake to develop this show. I thought historical figure, I'm just gonna, gonna need to go in there and get the facts wrong. The thing is about William Dorsey Swan is not a lot of people know about William Dorsey Swan. So there's not a lot of information out there. So I literally had to figure out ways to make the story work. And that's how I ended up incorporating some of my stories in it as well, just to flesh it out. And just because the more that I did learn about William Dorsey Swan, the more that I learned that all this, that, she was dealing with is that, that we're still dealing with today. And the cool thing for me is that I've done the show overseas. Um, the very first place that I did the show, actually the second place I did the show was in Dublin, Ireland. And even though it, it was a non-American audience, they resonated with the show. I've also done the show in Prague at the Prague Fringe. And also there, even though these people were not American, they resonated with the show. So it's cool to see 
people of different backgrounds in different places, it's cool. It's cool to see them resonate. And so it's just cool to see that there is a through line that is relatable to anyone. And I'm really enjoying that. It was really, really fantastic. And I love that the show has had such a great international response as well. So that's wonderful. Brad, I want to jump to you next for this question and your show, The Big Secret. I'm interested to know, is there a message or a thought that you're hoping that your audiences will take away from the show? I would say that I think that that's the kind of thing I kind of stray away from as much as possible. Like, I really don't like to hammer the audience with, this is the message. I mean, there are things I definitely took from this. I hope that they get that from simply me telling the story and that they come to their own sort of internal phrasing for that intention. And if they don't, I don't want to know about it. Like, that's fine. <laughs> if you just sat in the audience and were like, well, that was a fun way to spend an hour, that's good too. But I tend to avoid, I don't like to be the conveyor of a direct message unless I am directly advocating for something in, in that kind of environment. So the answer to that is, is you got to make up your own mind about that. I would never, I would never condescend to my audience that I'm delivering them a message that they need to, a specific message they need to walk away with. That's not what I do. I love that though. Jamie, I want to jump up to you because I have been pondering ever since you told me the name of your show, <laughs> you know, Pearl Necklace of a Gay Sexcapade. How do you just walk by that and not have to stop and do a double take? What is the message or thought you're hoping the audiences take away when they delve into that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, first of all, I think that I hope that they're entertained. You know, it's told there's there's a lot of humor and, you know, the best sex stories are the ones that are disastrous or that are weird or that are funny. And and that's those are the ones that most of the ones that make it to the stage. And, you know, but as I was as I was putting together the stories, some of which I've been I've told many times over the years and then started performing, I was seeing a theme of shedding our are shedding my shame and guilt about sexuality and, and my preferences and what I do and how I do it and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I just hope that no matter whether you're gay, straight, bi, asexual, that you will, from hearing my story, you're like, oh, okay, you know what? It's just, we, we should just embrace our sexuality, you know, as long as it's consensual sex and, and, and get rid of the, the, the shame of, and fear of embracing what you want and what you like. I like that. I really, really like that message. There are a lot of random hookups that taught me that lesson the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hop over to Leona Godan. Sighted people suck. I mean, there's there's got to be a great message of thought you hope audience <laughs> away from this, right? Uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. I, you know, I... I should say that, you know, I not all sighted people suck. I do like a lot of you a lot. But there is, well, speaking of shame, actually, you know, when I was a kid growing up with a, I had a degenerative eye disease. And so I was losing my vision very slowly from the time I was a kid. And I had so much shame about being a low vision person. And it's kind of taken me my whole life, a lot of that through performing to find blind pride and to be okay with who I am and to really connect up with a lot of amazing disabled and blind artists and writers out there in the world. And so I guess the biggest message is that ableism 
is the problem, right? That ocular centrism is the problem, not the disability and not the blindness, right? That that these biases about how you need to move through the world or sense the world are the things that make moving through the world as a blind person so much harder than it has to be. So through these stories, I, I hope to kind of gently remind sighted, my sighted friends, my sighted audience, that being blind is just a different way of being in the world, not a lesser way of being in the world. That is a really wonderful thought to, to leave audiences with. So I love that. Alisa Rosenthal, I want to jump to you to kick off our next question, because I, I feel like this is the horror story in the best way with your show, Big Honor Student Energy. Who do you hope have access to this piece? Yes, really um, anybody who feels like they're not good enough, anyone who feels like they've been a little too hard on themselves, anyone who thought they might want to be raffy when they grow up. Yeah. I love that. I Relatable right there. Relatable. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't want to be like a children's rock star, you know? Right. That's the ultimate goal. Every parent wants to hear that from their kid graduating from high school right there. Business school? Nah. Children's musician? That's the one. <laughs> Set me up with a ukulele. That's how you make friends. David, who? You've got this show, yeah. The Outcast, which also, again, it's it sounds like a very relatable story, especially now more than ever. Who are you hoping to have access to this? I'm hoping to have people who feel like a loner like myself at one point in their lives and understand that they don't need to kind of struggle to fit in with toxic people or go out in a way to just find acceptance because acceptance is within yourself. I feel like, you know, the purpose of my show is also to just promote mental health as well and confidence and is also just accepting understanding vulnerability that's not a weakness is a strength i love that i think that's wonderful that really is and michelle carlo rounding this Thank out you. i mean this is a, a a double question kind of for you because i want to know who do you hope have access not only to your show it came from new york but also doubling as the host for the festival who do you hope have access to the Gotham Storytelling Festival. I think the audience should be anyone who wants a fun and entertaining sprightly hour of stories. And and if, if people are not from the, whether people are from New York or not from New York, and if you're not from New York, you're gonna get a little taste of what it was like to actually grow up and be from the place that everybody else wants to move to. And you're going to also have a transplant perspective on what it's like to become a New Yorker. So it's just going to be an entertaining, fun hour. And there'll be some trivia. There'll be some surprises. There will be some I don't know. How's that? Because every good show has an I don't know factor. <laughs> we love every the good part. story ends with one. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, every good story ends with one. And it's going to be what you did there. Can I, can I shout yeah. out my cast? Yeah. Okay. So representing the Bronx, I have, she's been on the Moth main stage and she's in both of the Moth's books. Phyllis Bowden from Staten Island. I have comedian and storyteller Nancy Richards from Manhattan. 
I have storyteller, soon to be published author and activist Annie Tan from Queens. I have the a storyteller, a filmmaker, and um, a member of the Asian American pop group Asian Pop, Angel Yao. From Brooklyn, I have Rebecca Stronger, who's an ex circus performer. And that's it, right? Yep. Oh, and our token is ex-nun, non-binary, wonderful storyteller, activist, human. She's like, does everything. She's great. Her name is Kelly Dunham. And I'm the host. I've lived in four of the five boroughs of New York City. And I have lots of stories to tell you because, honey, I, I can remember when a slice of pizza in the New York City subway system cost 75 cents. Now, for the second part of our interview, I want to change things up and let our listeners get to know all of you a little bit better. And I know that we are just a little short on time for this big group, but I could not let a group of storytellers go without asking our penultimate question, my favorite question, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? David Lawson, what is your favorite theater memory? I had the sixth grade teacher, I'm going to say his full name, which is a taboo in storytelling sometimes, but this guy, Brett Heflin, who I was an incredibly misbehaved kid, very, very hyperactive, would just get up, run around, yell in the middle of class. He made a deal with me, if I could stay behaved all day, that I could start each morning with just a two-minute show in sixth grade, which worked. This calmed me down. This made me want to be a behaved you know, contained person. And yeah, this was a huge thing. And I would love putting on this show every morning, the two minutes I would get. In fact, to tie it to David, who is the outcast, he has some great educational learning lesson stories in his show. But uh, that's my favorite theater memory. My sixth grade teacher telling me, hey, if you keep it in control all day, you get two minutes to do pretty much whatever I wanted in the morning. And yeah, so thank you, uh, Brett Heflin. And Thank God for having a mic in front of a crowd. I think we can all agree on that. I love that. Jamie, go ahead. My favorite theater memory, I have so many because I grew up with parents who did community theater and then I was in community theater and they loved the theater and they took me to the theater. But it was the first time they brought me to New York, the first night, and we got my mother got tickets last minute to a Broadway show. So it was my first Broadway show. We walked to the theater from our hotel and I was free. I was like amazed that we were walking because I grew up in Texas where you drove and like I never walked anywhere. And I thought that was amazing. And it was Christmas time. So, you know, New York at Christmas. And and we go to Times Square. And the first show that we I saw was Woman of the Year starring Raquel Welch. And so, you know, I was she was a big celebrity. I was like, oh, my God, I'm seeing a celebrity on the stage and I'm right here in Times Square. And and it was that night that I was like, I think I have to live in New York. Hmm. So. I think the show is okay, but I was just wowed by the by the glamour of it all and 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 also feeling like, oh, this is where I need to be. I need to be in New York. And that night sealed the deal. Oh, I love that. We love a great first Broadway show story. Thank you. Elise, I saw you next. Go ahead. Yeah, when I went to Jewish musical theater camp in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, they did the thing where 
they would put on a full musical, but they would break up all the roles. So each kid got to come and do like one musical number. So when I was 12, we did Guys and Dolls. I got to be Adelaide's Lament, Adelaide. And the best part was that I got to use the the 80-year-old woman who ran the camp, her actual purse as like a prop. So I got to like rummage through all of her real pills. And it was like the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> yes, I love that. That's amazing. Les, how about you? Actually, my favorite theater memory just happened. I just finished a run of my show here in LA. And so it was a smaller theater. It was a theater in the round. So one night I'm on stage, I'm doing my show and I look out in the audience and I see this woman and I'm like, wow, that woman looks a lot like Leslie Ann Warren. And it was one of, as a little gay kid, the very first gay themed movie I ever saw was Victor Victoria. And, you know, this is in the 80s. And this was, you know, seeing that movie was the first time I realized, hey, you know, maybe being gay isn't so bad after all. And it turned out to be Leslie Ann Warren in the audience. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my God. So it was a complete, like, full circle moment. And so, yeah, that is my new favorite theater memory. And please tell me you got to meet her. Absolutely. My friend... A friend of mine is friends with her and brought her. So, yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. Thank you so much for that. Michelle, yes. How about oh. you? Well, my, actually, my favorite theater memory is every theater memory. Whether it's, I haven't seen many, very many Broadway shows, but I've seen a hell of a lot of my peers' shows. And to me, every time I walk into a theater, it's, it's, it's magic because once the lights go down, you are going to have some sort of transformative experience, even if it ends up being not what you expected or maybe not your cup of tea or whatever. There's still some personal thing going on. There's some kind of connection with whoever is on stage, whether it's a cast or it's just a solo performer that goes on on a mental and visceral level that film doesn't do. Film is like shown at you. Like theater, it talks to you. And every time I, I go into a theater and the lights go down and I'm sitting there, something happens. Some, something, like I said, something magical happens and it's just... Just amazing. So I, I I love theater. It's great. I can't wait. I can't wait to see everybody. Love that. Brad, yes. How about you? I was doing a show in Minneapolis, the solo show. And so it's just me on stage for an hour. And there was a woman who sat in the front row for the full hour, glaring at me like she hated me, like she could not stand a single word coming out of my face. <laughs> And there was another, there was like other people on the other side of the room that were reacting the way I needed them to. So I'd go back to them and like talk to them for a while, then come back to her and she'd still stare daggers at me. And I was like, oh, and so I kind of, you know, kept sort of bouncing between these two. And she was, you know, it was frighteningly outraged front row. And my wife was actually, she had dropped into Minneapolis to see the show and see how it was going. We're talking outside the theater on the sidewalk after. And I was like, I don't know, man. There was this woman in the front row that just like, she hated me. My face, 
and all of my the sounds coming out of it. She hated them all. And I don't know what it was. And then I see her over my wife's shoulder. I see her come out of the theater and make a beeline for me. And she got right over to me. And she goes, I love this show so much. It was the best show I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's this is just you. Like every day. This is great. I'm glad it was good. <laughs> you know? And I was like, so I tell people, I teach, I teach a lot of storytelling. And I'm like, don't. Don't be so sure you know what's going on in the audience's mind. They don't, you don't know. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Thank you for that. Leona, how about you? Sure. Uh, thank you. You know, when I was a kid, I said I, I was a drama nerd. And then there was a point at which in high school, I kind of dropped out of all drama because I lost the ability to read. And so I didn't know how I would audition for for plays and things and so I kind of left my whole drama nerd self behind and I ended up back in New York to go to grad school and a totally academic sense of that and well this is in the show but I kind of fall off the grad school rails and I would say that my fa favorite theater moment has to be the first time I walked into an open mic the anti-slam Rev Jen's anti-slam on Ludlow the collective unconscious and I I went in there and I had this little monologue that I thought was pretty funny. Nobody laughed at all. It was all extremely awkward, me up there with my guide dog. But the the like appreciation and the friends that I made from that very night are still friends. For example, Michelle Carlo, who's right here, who you know sort of ushered me into the entire storytelling world. And um, so much came out of that that moment of deciding to kind of throw myself back into being a performer. That goes back, gosh, I guess back to the knots, as Michelle would say. Back to the back knots. to the odds. The odds, the odds, the odds. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Turn of the century. Just That's like, right. Oh, Turn of the century. It's what it was. I yep. love that though. Thank you for that. <laughs> David, who bring us home with this question? What is your favorite theater memory? I think my favorite theater theater memory is feeling like Rudy in the movie Rudy, except I'm not the one who is struggling to play for Notre Dame. I'm here, just wanted to be part of a solo show. And I feel like it's about to happen on November 6th at 7 p.m. I love that. And that is a great memory to finish on. And I want to say thank you to all of you for those memories. Those were incredible. I love those. I want to wrap up this episode by asking all of you if our listeners would like more information about you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, or they'd like to know when your show is, how can they do that? How can they find you or reach you and when the show is? So I'd like to start, Jamie, with you and your show, Pearl Necklace, A Gay Sexcapade. Well, my show is on Thursday, November 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern at under St. Mark's theater where we all are. And it's also going to be live stream. So if you can't make it to the theater, you can see it from the safety and comfort of your own home. And uh, I am on uh, TikTok and Instagram and Facebook every day where I tell a true story in high heels. You can find out information, more information there, or you can go to my website, jamiebrickhouse.com and see more videos and get a taste of what my stories are like and what I'm like. And I hope it's not a turn off. I hope it's a real turn on and it, drives you to the theater so thanks for coming thanks for having me on by the way Les, with your show the real black swan the confessions of america's first drag queen 
when is that plan and how can they get a hold of you? And I am on November 9th after Jamie. <laughs> so you can have a double feature. Double and you can find me on either on Instagram at Kirkendall, which is spelled K-U-R-K-E-N-D-A-A-L. Or you can find me on my website, which is Les Kirkendall Barrett. And I just started a brand new TikTok. And you can find me there at The Real Black Swan. And Swan has two ends. Amazing. Leona Godan, Sighted People Suck. When is that? How can people get a hold of you? Absolutely. I'm the day before them. And uh, so it's Wednesday, November 8th at 7 p.m. I'm pretty much at all of the social medias that I dabble in that torture me are at Dr. M. L. Godin. And so the Godin is like Rodan. So G-O-D-I-N, Dr. M. L. Godin. I did finally end up finishing that PhD somehow. I don't know how, but so I am an actual doctor of philosophy. And that's also my website. So drmlgodin.com. And thank you so much, Andrew. This has been really cool. Thank you. Thank you. Brad Lawrence and the big secret. When is your show and how can people get a hold of you? My show is the last show of the festival. It's the 11th at 9 or 8.30 p.m. rather. And I am at Bradlaw77 on Instagram. And I think Facebook, it's just it's Brad Lawrence. I think the URL is like brad.lawrence1, which I, I think means I was the second Brad Lawrence to get a Facebook account ever, which is weird considering what a witness protection program of a name that is but there you go i love that <laughs> david who when's your show and how can people get a hold of you my show is on monday november 6th at 7 p.m and people can get a hold of me through instagram at dave hugh 718 so it's short for david Hugh is my last name, and 718 is the area code where I grew up in. Or you can reach out to my awesome director, David Lawson. Yeah, that's a great way to bring David Lawson in. I was going to say the director of the show. How can people get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I'm online at www.dtlawson.com. I'm on Instagram at LawsonOnStage. And I'll see you in rehearsal tonight, David. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, the show, rehearsal you're not invited to, but the show is, yeah, Monday, November 6th, 7 p.m., under St. Mark's. Amazing. Alisa Rosenthal with Big Honor Student Energy. When can people come see you and how can they reach you? Yeah, so to put in your planner for all those fellow overachievers. I am the Saturday, November 11th show at 7 p.m. I'm the show right before Brad Lawrence's show, who I met doing Minnesota Fringe last summer. Brad's an excellent storyteller. Can't wait to see the show. I also saw Les's show, The Real Black Swan, and it, I can't speak highly enough about it. It's such a special show, so I really hope everyone checks it out. You can find me at Elisa Rosenthal, that's A-L-I-S-A, on uh, any of your social media, or if you want it all in one place, alisarosenthal.com. Finally, our good friend of the show, 
Michelle Carlo with her show. It came from New York. When is your show and how can people get a hold of you? It came from New York is Tuesday, November 7th at 7 p.m. at on the St. Mark's Theater. I haven't been on social as much as I probably should be because I'm preparing to move and my life is all disrupted right now. But I will do my best to do updates on Instagram. I'm on it under uh, Michelle. M-I-C-H-E-L-E underscore as Shell, S-H-E-L-L. And I'm on Facebook as Michelle Carlo, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-C-A-R-L-O. And there's also my website. I have a whole video page on there and a whole other bunch of other stuff. If you want to see any of the storytelling that I do, because I won't be really doing storytelling and it came from New York because I'm kind of, you know, like showcasing other, others and I'm hosting. But my website is www.michelle with one L carlo.com. Perfect. Well, Jamie, Les, Leona, Martin, Brad, David, David, Elisa, and Michelle, thank you all so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This has been incredible. I am so hyped about the Gotham Storytelling Festival and so hyped about your shows. Truly, I cannot wait. I hope our listeners just get out and support you all and check out these incredible shows. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Thank, thank you. you so thank much, you. Andrew. Have a good one. Thank you so much, Bye. Andrew. Thank you, See thank you. you. The theater. Looking forward to seeing all of you at the theater. Yes. Bye. Yes. My Can't guests wait. today have been several members of the Gotham Storytelling Festival, which is playing November 3rd through the 11th at Under St. Mark's. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. We also have information about when their shows are playing, as well as contact information about each of our artists, which we'll be posting on our episode description, as well as on our social media posts. So make sure you check that out. But November 3rd through the 11th, get your tickets now. This is an incredible festival, one of our favorites. And it's going to be even better than last year. These shows sound amazing. So get out here, support these great artists. If you're not in the New York City area or you're not able to go out to the theater, several of these shows are streaming. So make sure you check out that way. But that's the Gotham Storytelling Festival, November 3rd through the 11th. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep <laughs> talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our brand new website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.